Hello and welcome to the next exciting installment of the world's only Timothy's On Annotation Podcast. Uh, that's right, you are listening to Thronderdome. I am your host, Dr. Daniel Dottie. Uh, with me as always is uh, Gen X icon, Ronnie Gardaki. Ronald, how are you this evening? Pretty good. I was watching uh, Love and Other Drugs. I wanted to know what the other drugs were. D- do we find out what the other drugs are? It's mostly Viagra. Oh. <laughs> I see. Well, well, there you have it. Um, yeah, so, uh, well, I hope everyone listening is uh, having a, a pleasant morning or evening or afternoon whenever one happens to partake of uh, this amazing medium, the podcast, when you, know, you can listen to it any t- literally any time. You don't, you know, this isn't appointment radio. You can you can load this up uh, anytime you want to. It's just a really amazingly flexible medium that we're all very proud to be a part of. Uh, this message was brought to you by the Podcast Council, uh, inviting you to enjoy podcasts. Um, but anyway, I'm, you know, I'm just I'm just wasting time. I'm wasting the listeners' time at this point. Uh, we all know what they came here for. They came here for hot, heavy Star Wars action, and not the erotic kind. So. They're in luck. Well, what do you say we just dive right into the uh, the recaps, Ronnie? Sure. All right. So uh, we are opening up on Chapter 27, where we uh, open on the Bridge of the Chimera. And one thing I noticed about this chapter, Ronnie, is that the notes are very light. Uh, I think as, we, as we've gotten further into the book, and we're almost finished with it, I think Timothy has run out of things to say about his own prose. So there's really not very many notes at all. But there is one... For the Chimera. Let's go check that out. In Greek myth, the Chimera was a fantastical, fire-breathing beast that combined lion, goat, and snake. It was also held to be unconquerable, though it was eventually killed by Bellerophon. Nowadays, the word refers to something made up of disparate parts, usually as a result of grafting or genetic manipulation, or something wildly and grotesquely imaginary. All of those elements went into my decision to name Thrawn's flagship the Chimera, Disparate elements, human plus chiss, considered imaginary, and hence not taken seriously by others until Thrawn is ready to move, and unconquerable. TZ. I like that he so saved that this... suggests that, that Greek mythology exists in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it does. Yeah, like to name... Or maybe like Chimera is a translation of a comparable mythological thing. But yeah, I would... This kind of is almost like our uh, dragon conversation like are there dragons in star wars um i think yeah it does indicate that there are at least greeks in star wars which i think we all knew because you know there was that greasy spoon diner that obi-wan went to i mean that you know looked like a like a greek diner that's in the prequels dude that doesn't count that doesn't count that doesn't count you're right but anyway i thought it was interesting that thrawn raided until like the last what fifth of the book like we're really almost done before telling us why he named the ship the chimera um but anyway, so we're on the Bridge of the Chimera. Thrawn and Peleon are overseeing a test of the cloaking device. If you remember that cloaking device technology that has been mentioned a couple of times and not seen yet. Thrawn gets a status report on uh, the two balls he's juggling. There's no news from Mirkur, you know, the planet with uh, Captain Card's summer camp. Um, and there's also a, a status report on Sluis Vaughn. There are 112 starships stationed at the shipyards, with more than half of those converted to cargo carriers for the, uh, the Bipfash uh, relief convoy. Uh, Playon wonders why, they're using, why they aren't using Kabaoth on this run. Um, 
since they had such success on the the last time, even despite Plan's misgivings about the Dark Jedi. And Thrawn explains that he's a little wary of using Kabath too much, lest the Dark Jedi kind of get a taste for controlling the fleet, um, and sort of a taste for power. The uh, Delivering unto him the Jedi twins into his care will slake his thirst for power, but until then, Thrawn is kind of playing him at arm's length. Uh, that seemed pretty meta, because it it's like, why not use Kabath for everything? Yeah. Well, you don't want to overuse him. <laughs> you don't. You don't want to. <laughs> That's you a good point. Don't want to wear I'm him not, out. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure if the uh, the we're just wary of giving him too much of a taste for power. Is that really also, that this compelling? Also, like the first time he's been brought up in like ten chapters. Yeah, he really disappeared. Uh, like a like a, a while ago. I think the last time we did see him was that uh, the crazy. Uh, uh, well, not the crazy, but when he was like directing the the strikes and everything. Everyone just kind of gave up on the... Is he just hanging out in that cave waiting for Luke to show up? I think, I think he is on Joe Mark waiting for Wedge to spread the rumors to get Luke to show up. So... <laughs> I think Zod forgot about him. I, I would not be surprised if that's if that's the case. He, he, fi- he finally got... See, all the gears finally started clicking for his Thrawn and card thing. And so he totally forgot about the, the Dark Jedi. Um, but anyway, the, the cloaking device works. Uh, and it has a bit of a catch. Uh, and you know, I thought this was you know pretty good as, as long as you're making up made up technology. I, I do like it when authors work in that kind of it's it's not like a uh, you know a, a, a panacea solving all your problems. The cloaking device works, but the catch is that yeah, it shields you from enemy sensors, so you know nothing gets out, but also nothing gets in. You can't have any communication with any starship that's under the cloaking field. It can't send and receive signals, right? So from there we smash cut to the aforementioned Wedge Antilles, uh, who is whining, <laughs> which is something our, our rebellion, rebellion heroes love to do. He's whining about Rogue Squadron being put on escort duty for some of those cargo ships bound for uh, Bipfash and uh, the New Republic Navy flunky that he's uh, arguing with begins kind of hinting darkly that Phalia may be ready to make a big move. And Wedge kind of... Uh, you know, he kind of raises his eyebrows and is like, what, you mean a, you don't mean a coup? And the dispatcher is immediately like, oh, no, 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 of course not. But he's also, you know, he, he says here like, oh, I got it. You're one of Akbar's diehards, huh? Face it, Commander. Akbar's lost whatever touch he ever had with the common fighting man of the Alliance. Failure is the only one on the council who really cares about our welfare. So that was, I think that's just been introduced, right? Have we had any hint before that, like, Phalia has the common man, the common touch? Like, that's just kind of, like, dropped oh, in our laps. I mean, laps. Akbar is giving all those, uh, all those Space Wall Street speeches <laughs> and uh, really ignored the Space Midwest. So, that's, that's yeah, right. I guess by comparison, Phalia does, does uh, you know, coming out against Space NAFTA and everything. Exactly. He, he, he at least, you know, he may not have the right answers, uh, but he's at least addressing certain concerns that uh, that Akbar just cannot be bothered with. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I have to say, I actually agree with Wedge this time, because uh, if you remember anything from playing video games as a child, uh, escort missions are the worst. That is a really good point. Um, well, it's, it's interesting the way he gets sniffy about it. Because, like, uh, the dispatcher is like, you guys are X-Wings, right? You do escort all the time. And then Wedge retorts, we escort people. We don't watchdog cargo ships. 
just getting a little queenie about it. Like, Wedge, what the fuck, man? Like, you're just a guy in the army. Chill out. Uh, but anyway, Wedge well, kind of takes... He, doesn't he have, like, all sorts of titles? I mean, he's, like, Luke Skywalker's best friend. So he's he just... probably, like, a grand admiral whatever. <laughs> Legend. I mean, this this uh, this other Navy guy just calls him Commander, so he's not even a captain. He's got so like I'd... all those uh, all those titles like Edie and Mean had. <laughs> I know what he has. He has those. Um, so in the in the Catholic Church, you can be like a, a bishop. What's called a vacated see, where like there used to be a bishopric, but like it's been under the control of like Muslim people for a thousand years. But the Pope can still name a bishop of Edessa or whatever. As like an honorary thing. I bet he has a bunch of those. Whatever the Star Wars equivalent is of that. Uh, but Wedge kind of takes a moment to reflect a little bit. Like, hey, you know what? Maybe this escort job's not going to be all that bad. A little vacation away from Coruscant might not be such a bad idea after all. At least it would get him away from all this crazy political stuff. And uh, so he kind of comes to terms with... Wedge uh, Antilles definitely doesn't vote. <laughs> Again, he's you know uh, he's he's the kind of the the, the disconnected figure that uh, Phalia is hoping to reach out to. So you know, he's we'll one see. of those four point four million Obama voters that didn't vote in twenty sixteen. He absolutely is wedge. So he you got to so do he voted for Space Obama and then nothing. <laughs> he voted for Space Obama and then Space Gary Johnson. Here come that boy. Uh. Boy, that's man. Uh, look up 2016, everybody. That's that's a that's a deep pull from 2016 nightmare. Um, but that wraps up chapter 27. That's kind of a not a lot going on, but you know pieces coming into place like uh, like Zon likes to do. But now we get back to the real action. Luke and Mara arguing. That's right. Chapter 28. We are back in the woods on Mirker. Um, Luke and Mara are still kind of trudging their way through the forest, but they have started hearing. Imperial speeder bikes off in the distance. They're they're sending patrols out and kind of a wide arc around them. Mara puts it together that they're in the middle of a kind of a tightening noose and uh, their plan to outflank the Imperials probably isn't going to work. So they bicker for a while about how to approach their dilemma and land on actually going with the switch em up plan with uh, Luke pretending to be Card's employee Jade and Mara coming up, you know, with some other identity for herself as being the disgruntled employee who stole an R2 unit and uh, crashed a spaceship. Uh, so to kind of prepare for all this, Luke stashes his lightsaber in R2's compartment. And Mara notices and is like, aha, so that's how you smuggled it into Java's palace. You know, she's, she's just... There are, there are a couple of great passages here. Um, oh, please. I think my first one is uh, she glared at him, but it was a reflexive glare without any real argument behind it. And when we were chatting, uh, I just sent you that that series of sentences, and then just responded with your wife. <laughs> right? It's just it's just second nature to just glare at me before even thinking about anything I've said. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get another classic uh, Zon description of uh, one of the trapezoidal sections at the top of R two D 2s upper dome, indistinguishable from all the other segments, slid open to reveal a long, deep storage compartment beneath it. Yeah, there we go. I love it. You can just go. Well, it looks exactly the same as everything else. <laughs> you, you guys know what R two D two looks like. I don't have to spend my time on this. <laughs> but uh, so they stash the lightsaber. 
Uh, and Mara actually has uh, another great idea to kind of help them uh, with their plan to disguise themselves or otherwise kind of bamboozle the Imperials. And uh, she takes some leaves off an odd-looking bush and then uh, sticks Luke with them. And he has a horrible reaction. So she's she's very satisfied that he's allergic to those things. Uh, so they're going to slather Luke with poison leaves, <laughs> with poison ivy. <laughs> To make him swell up and turn red, and uh, and not look, I guess, like Luke Skywalker, uh, just kind of give them an extra I, edge. I, I guess. was half expecting the the text to say something like, "And then Luke started to look exactly like post car accident Mark Hamill." <laughs> well, see that would that would in, that would suggest that they have cars in Star Wars, which I don't think they do. I've never seen one. Fine, speeder accident, whatever. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You fucking know what I was saying. <laughs> he got he got he got his face mangled in a hit and fade accident <laughs> of his speeder. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So uh so Luke is now I, I imagine it comically, swollen up and red, uh probably can barely talk, uh covered in horrible, painful, poisonous welts uh at Mara Jade's doing. And now they're 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 properly prepared to make their gamble, to kind of like just, you know, walk right up to a patrol and kind of give themselves up slash, you know, try to talk their way out of it. So the two make their way forward toward Hilliard City and are stopped by a, uh, a speeder bike patrol, which, uh, oh, I wanted to mention earlier that there's a, a funny line of Luke where uh, he's, you know, they're, when they're distantly hearing the speeder bikes and he's like, hey, yeah, that's a speeder bike. And Mars like, oh, are you sure? And he was like, yeah, I know exactly what they sound like. I almost crashed one into a tree, <laughs> which... Again, this looks like Luke's bevy of stupid stories is uh, is just a well that, that keeps on giving. Um, so they run into a speeder bike patrol, a couple of, couple of you know, uh, Imperial heavies hassling them. Um, you know, Luke immediately hams it up to pretend to be Jade the Bounty Hunter, who had found this uh, person who ran off from Talon Card. Um, they get uh, frog-marched out of the forest as the rest of the search party that have been out, you know, the, all the, uh, out in the distance, they start falling in. And so by the time they're nearby the city, they have an impressive escort of like, you know, 20, 20 30 stormtroopers and, a, you know, a dozen speeder bikes. Um, so they make it into the city. I, I was kind oh. of just imagining, like, what if uh, Hasbro Kenner or whatever, whoever had the license to Star Wars had put out a Jade the Bounty Hunter Luke in Disguise <laughs> action figure. And just imagine, like, yeah. Looks exactly like Mark Hamill if he got stung by a bunch of bees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, oh, during all this, I, I guess I don't know if it ever comes up again. But Mara takes the uh, the alias Seni Kifu, uh, and is grumbling about how much talent card owes her. Rah, 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 you know, and they and they uh, you know. I mean, that's like, a name, I guess. It's a Star Wars name. It's not bad. Um, at least it, it doesn't have a note, so it's not some dork from Tampa. Thank God. <laughs> so, he ran out of all he, he ran out of friends in Tampa. He, ran, he, he, he ran out of friends by chapter 27 um <laughs> he, he ran out of people in his in his tampa nerd polycule to uh to to give uh, a, a nod to um so uh so they make it into into the city they uh come to kind of a uh you know as, as they enter they're met by another kind of squad of uh, stormtroopers and an imperial army major who's in charge of the detachment, who uh, takes a little moment to sniff at them a bit and be a little snooty and then has them both cuffed before being brought into HQ. 
Uh, even good old Jade the Bounty Hunter, he's like, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm, I'm on your guy's side. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll sort it out down at the down at the precinct. Uh, I do like how the Major goes, uh, what in the Empire happened to you anyway, referring to Luke's face? <laughs> that is a fun, like, what in the Empire? Yeah. Yeah, and he makes some, like, lame line, like, ah, I ran into a stupid, Ran into you know, some kind poison. of bush while I was chasing her, which sounds like right. a very Luke thing to do. It really does. He he would find the one poison sumac on a planet and run into it. Uh, <laughs> so they so they get deeper into the city and you know, Ronnie, what you know, what would you say Hilliard City reminds you of? Because I'll tell you what it reminds uh, Luke of. Uh, <laughs> well, in, in this book, it it reminds uh, <laughs> it reminds uh, Luke of uh, the other city that he knows of. The one other city he's been to, Moss Eisley. So this is. The second it's or very, third, and it's very detailed and specific. Small houses and commercial buildings crammed fairly tightly together, with relatively narrow streets running between them. Just also like known as a city. <laughs> this is the city. <laughs> and small houses and commercial buildings. Boy, that sounds like that that snake pit, Mos Eisley on Tatooine. I think this is also the at least the second, possibly the third time. A uh, a dingy town has has said it looks like Mos Eisley, right? All right. I guess the other time was like that the the Abrogado city used to be as bad as Mos Eisley. Anyway, I just thought it was funny. How much like, do you want to bet uh, Zahn wanted to to set a scene on Tatooine, but he couldn't justify it to himself? <laughs> he well, he should he should have done what J.J. Abrams did and just make a Tatooine, but call it something else. Jakku. That's right. That's right. Stroke of genius. Or just do what George Lucas did in the prequels and go back to Tatooine. And go back to Tatooine, right? So anyway, uh, so he'll, he'll, you know, Lucas reminded of Mos Eisley. They take a brief walk into kind of a town square where they see another group of uh, four four armed men walking up with a fifth man in handcuffs. And they're intercepted by a squad of stormtroopers. And lead you know they, they lead him up and uh, Luke sees that it's... Han freaking Solo? Yes. Some sort of plan is afoot. And uh, Card's henchmen, led by Chin, are turning Han Solo in as for, as they say, snooping around in the forest. Uh, so the stormtroopers, they confiscate Chin and his company's blasters. And likewise, so I'm like, hey, all right, well, you're all going down to HQ. You're all going down to the precinct until we uh, can get all this sorted out. So Han is shoved in with Luke and Mara in the midst of this little parade, and uh, they start marching ahead. And Luke notices that there's a uh, they're about to pass under a big, tall archway thing. Hmm, just the great place for an ambush, but also an obvious place for an ambush. So the the troopers are on their guard. They kind of they kind of get a little frostier. They raise their blaster rifles, kind of ready to go. And uh, Luke whispers to Han about whether C-3PO is around. And Han informs him, like, yeah, you know, uh, C-3PO is back with Lando, who's setting up the ambush. And so he has R2 send a, a message to 3PO, kind of telling Lando to wait until the Imperials are, have passed under the arch to launch the attack. Uh, and for some reason, R2-D2 has to, like, scream when he does this. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to, like, in order to transmit this signal to his robot friend, he has to make a noise, but, but he does, which like makes the, the stormtroopers like, Hey, what's that message he's trying to send? So they get even, get even more on their toes. Uh, well, this is what they think the future is circa 1990. So they, 
don't imagine that we'll be able to like silently communicate using computers. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. We'll have we'll have to. I just wanted to, I just wanted to point out that uh, this uh, portion uh, mentions that that the uh, Empire's HQ on this planet is a uh, Hilliard Hotel, and I just <laughs> wanted to note that apparently hotels exist in Star Wars. Yes, they do. Ho- hotels do exist, and they have brand names like Hilliard Hotel. Well, I guess it's just named after the city. Um, it would be funnier if it was called City Hotel. <laughs> it would be funny if it was called uh, Best Western. Um, but so anyway. do motels exist if hotels exist? One would assume. Uh, youth hostels, Airbnbs, regular B&Bs. Hey, can you imagine going well, well, uh, doing now, a bed Airbnb's and breakfast? Airbnbs came out well after this book was published. Yeah, but it's in the future. Oh, wait, no, it's in the past. Airbnb stole their idea from Star Wars. Boom, solved it. Uh, <laughs> so this is, the, um, this is the future as dictated by 1990. So yeah, just remember that. <laughs> keep keep that in mind. Uh, so the uh, so stormtroopers are all on high alert. Uh, you know, R two got his message off, and uh, and Han is murmuring like, "I hope you know what you're doing." Luke takes a deep breath and fixed his eyes on the archway ahead. So do I, he murmured back. In very few minutes, he knew they would both find out. It's that classic, classic leave you hanging chapter ending as we go into chapter 29, which opens with 3PO going, oh my. <laughs> Always the mark I of enjoy. a great, uh, <laughs> great uh, piece of literature. The, exactly. I mean, C-3PO going like George Takei. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm just glad that uh, the, the the sentence here reads, "Oh my!" Three PO gasped, and I'm just really glad that it didn't say, "Oh my!" Three PO prissed, <laughs> but bristly anyway, gasped. He bristly gasped. Uh, so three uh, PO, you know, he he gets the message and he's trying to interrupt uh, Lando, who's having, you know, he's he's kind of discussing the 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 strategic situation with Aves. Um, they're trying to figure out what's going on down there. They're, you know, holed up in a, in a building overlooking the, uh, the, the street there. Uh, and after this kind of tense exchange between Lando and Aves, uh, 3PO actually manages to get out Luke's instructions, which is not to launch the ambush until the stormtroopers are under the arch. Aves, of course, is furious. That would mean they have cover. That would be stupid. Like, there's no way they're going to be able to actually get any of them, it puts them in the worst possible position. And he does not back down. There is a very tense um, confrontation between Lando and, uh, and Aves. Uh, Aves is especially worried about the chariot assault vehicle, which in classic Zonian, uh, classic Zonian touch is described only as a repulsor craft. So that's helpful. Named after his uh, friend in Tampa, Thomas Chariot. <laughs> And also described in honor of uh, a uh, local convention attendee, uh, Katie Repulsorcraft. Uh, but yes, there. It's to be the, fair, Lando's argument is pretty flimsy because he basically just says, "Well, Luke's a Jedi." Right, right. Luke knows what he's doing. Lando insisted he's a Jedi. <laughs> I mean, technically, but uh, Aves uh, retorts uh, pretty accurately that he's not really a Jedi right now because of the El Samari uh, 
fucking up his force uh, abilities. And also, yeah. it's Luke, who's kind of an idiot. Right, right. It's, it's it's Luke Skywalker. He's not, you know, they're not sending their best, the Jedi Order. Uh... <laughs> He's in the top one of Jedi. And I, I did, I, I, this, this like, they're in the middle of this argument when uh, he says, uh, whether he has Jedi powers or not, he's still a Jedi, Lando insisted. His blaster, he realized suddenly, was pointed at Aves. But that was okay, because Aves' blaster was pointed at him, too. <laughs> so, things are going great up in the uh, the ambush. Uh, you spot. might call it a space-Mexican standoff. I, I might call it that. I would indeed be hard-pressed not to call it that. Um... Aves, of course, is he's insisting on sticking to the plan to activate the... Uh, they had booby-trapped those uh, blasters that got confiscated by the stormtroopers, huh? That's pretty clever, putting, you know, putting, putting some grenades inside the, uh, the blasters that your you know, chin and company gave up. Um, but uh, really, you know, Lando is not going to let him... You know, Lando's not going to let it happen. He is sticking to it. He is keeping that gun pointed right at uh, Aves' head. And so we have this tense standoff going. Aves didn't move. Yeah, but he even describes was... that he, he rested the tip of the muzzle against Aves' neck, which yeah. is pretty badass. Which I, yeah, which I'm not sure why Aves let him get that close, honestly. Um, he does say he won't forget this. and uh, Right, right, right. I hope that like pays off in two books from now. Ooh, yeah, I hope so. Um, so that's, you know, they're, they're, they're at each other's throats, literally, up there. Uh, when I do uh, love famous last words, uh, Lando looked out at the stormtroopers and hoped that Luke did indeed know what he was doing. <laughs> Never a situation you want to be in, frankly, <laughs> where you have to depend on Luke knowing what he's doing, because this whole thing is not knowing what he's doing. That's been a major theme of this book: is Luke not being sure what what to do or what he is doing. Um. But we'll see if that's he gets why. It really, time. all those nerds that are complaining about how Luke is out of character in the Last Jedi are are wrong because, uh, of course, Luke would be a loser who who gave up on uh, the Jedi Order after a bit of difficulty. He's a he's an idiot. <laughs> he's Luke. He's an idiot. Exactly. He fell ass backwards into saving the galaxy. You know, I, of course, he'd not, be drinking blue milk. He's not. He's not the guy to put all your uh, eggs in his basket. Um. But anyway, so the the uh, the Imperials are now, you know, they're now under the archway, and that's when the trap goes off. The blasters explode, you know, splattering those uh, those troopers who are carrying them. All hell breaks loose, and the lunchbox guys hit the deck. Uh, Han and Han and Luke get some cover under, you know, something, you know, a barrel or something, and uh, you know their blaster fire is going down. The uh, actually Lando gets clipped in the shoulder. You know, as as the uh, as cards guys, you know, sort of launch their ambush from the from the windows, uh, Lando gets gets got. Uh, yeah, you can and, really tell it's uh, like the end of the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gets, yeah, he gets. Uh, Lando catches one on the shoulder. Um, that puts him down. The chariot assault vehicle lands in the city square. You know, next to the entrance to that that archway, blocking any escape out that way. Um, and there, there then comes a, it's a big fight scene, but it's a little, I don't know, it's a little more confusing than Zahn's other fight scenes. Uh, there, there's a good passage I want to highlight, which is, uh, yeah. a hand gripped Luke's arm, fingernails digging hard into the skin. Whatever you're going to do, do it, Mara hissed, hissed viciously. 
Again, I think that's true to life in your life. <laughs> I I guess so. I don't know if I don't know if my wife has ever said it in so many words, but uh maybe so. <laughs> implies it. Right. So so uh anyway, the 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 bombs have gone off, uh blaster fire, you know, all over the place. Um Luke has uh, asking Han, like, you know, how good are you at making a distraction? And Han is like, yeah, yeah, I can do a distraction. So uh, he actually slips out of his cuffs and uses them to just wail on a stormtrooper and then get the shackles around the neck of another stormtrooper to pull him down and just create like a big pile of guys, a bunch of confusion, which gives Luke the chance to kind of scamper away and get R2 to to launch, catapult that uh, lightsaber to him. Uh so he grabs his lightsaber, uh, it completely ignores the stormtroopers, and he starts running toward the pillars that are holding the archway up. And he goes ahead and slashes his lightsaber across one of those pillars, and there's a loud crack as the suddenly released tension sent a shiver through the structure. Another stroke cut through the second pillar, and the noise of the battle was abruptly drowned out by the awful grinding of stone on stone as the two fractured pillars began sliding apart. Uh, I guess I'll go ahead. I'm actually almost at the end of the chapter. I'll go ahead and finish reading. Uh, it's so exciting. Luke swung back around, peripherally aware of Han and Mara, scrambling out from under the arch to safety behind him. The stormtroopers' expressions were hidden behind their masks, but the look of sudden horror on the Major's face set it for all of them. Overhead, the massive arch creaked warningly. Setting his teeth, Luke locked the lightsaber on and hurled it across the gap toward the pillar there. It cut through one of them, and nicked the other, and with a roar, the whole thing came crashing down. Luke, standing at the edge, barely got out from under it in time. The stormtroopers crouched in the center, didn't. And that's the yeah, end. Yeah, I mean, I just pictured uh, whatever Wiley Coyote got uh, crushed by a boulder in, in the Roadrunner <laughs> cartoons. I picture all the stormtroopers as popping their heads up from under the rubble, and uh, they open their mouths, and they all have piano teeth. Uh, and big welts on their heads, um, I, but yes, I pictured them before the uh, the the arc uh, crushed them. Uh, they tailed up uh, little tiny umbrellas. <laughs> I uh, the the major held up a little sign that said "Eek," and then and then it all came crashing. Yeah, I mean, down. why not? Yeah, yeah, it is a little cartoonish. Um, although, hey, you know, Luke's making he's making uh, use of the, his surroundings. And also destroying a major architectural landmark of this town he just rolled into. So, you know, uh, making himself yeah, uh, popular. It's, Mo- it's a Moss Eisley. Who gives a shit? I hate that town. I hate all towns that look like Moss Eisley. Moss um, Eisley, yes. the Birmingham of uh, Tatooine. <laughs> oh, oh, Moss Eisley, the, the Milwaukee of, uh, of the galaxy. Full of scum I don't even live in Milwaukee, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, your heart's in Milwaukee. <laughs> and also, Milwaukee sounds... Uh, Madison is just a little too classy. You know, you say Madison, Wisconsin, people have good associations with, like, higher education there. I gotta, I gotta get that. We gotta get... We gotta with old Milwaukee's best. That kind of town. Yeah, I guess uh, Madison's named after a, a slave-owning colonizer, whereas Milwaukee is a Native American term. I, I guess we know where uh, Daniel's uh, thinking. I guess we know what Daniel thinks is superior and classy. 
Oh, boy. Yeah. Ooh, you got me there. Boy, this does not bode well for the upcoming Thronderdome, uh, into the Thronderdome segment, if you're scoring points off me in the uh, the recap. Um, but speaking of the recap, that's the end of the chapter. That's a that's a hell of a cliffhanger. I mean, I guess not really a cliffhanger. They all got out from under the uh, the collapse, but there's still, I, I, I don't think the chariot assault vehicle was destroyed. Uh, or maybe it was. Lando's shot know. to hell. Lando's shot to hell. He's totally in Aves, at Aves' mercy. Aves could just dome him right now and say the Imperials got him, you know. Uh, so we'll have to see what happens there. Um, and this is all it's all very exciting. Is you know, Are the crew going to be able to get off of Mirkur before Thrawn's people uh, really throttle him? And, of course, the assault on Sluis Vaughn. I mean, we gotta, we got you know, to see what's going to happen with that. And, uh, and even more excitingly, everybody, this is the penultimate episode of our first season. Next episode, we're actually finishing off Heir to the Empire. Ronnie, we're, we did it. We're very close to ha- having done it. Yeah, in that vein, I think we need to have a little uh, discussion here uh, discussing, uh, you know, uh, what, we, what, we've, uh, what we've got on these, uh, these uh, chapters. Because okay. I definitely had the uh, sinking feeling that, okay, this is... I mean, this is the book. There's not, I mean, there's not really a whole lot of time for them to, to, yeah, to change yeah. at all. So, I mean, there's, there's a, a, there's a good chance of this being like the final action set piece of the book. That's true. And as, as far as final action set pieces of a Star Wars movie go, eh, this one would not. This one would, doesn't really hold a candle to the trench run, or uh, or the battle at Endor. You know, I mean, it's it's fine. It was exciting, but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Well, we talked earlier in the series about uh, whether we had confidence in Zon making a satisfying mini arc for this novel as part of the entire trilogy, and I'm realizing I don't know if he's going to stick the landing because I think in reading all this, I think what uh, I think what was really happening is that the reveal for Mara Jade was the emotional climax. It was supposed to be the emotional climax. And this chapter was the kind of action climax, right? Um, I think at but, best we're going to get uh, Thrawn revealing something like insane at the in the last chapter to serve as a hook for the next book. But right, other right. than that... I don't think we're going to get much more. I mean, we we've got so many characters to check in on. Like, like what about Leia? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's not a lot of pages left. Leia, of course, had her daring escape. We'll have to see where she ends up. Um, and you can't and like not bring her up the rest of the book. That would be insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to have least, some kind like, of notion. Yeah, you got to devote at least like a page to her. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you have to, like, uh, you, you have to, I would say you have to end a Star Wars movie knowing where all of the lunchbox guys are. So that's, like, at the end of, like, Empire Strikes Back, for instance. Like, you get the shot of, you know, Han being loaded up onto Slave One, being taken away by Boba Fett. And that's transposed with Luke and Leia on, like, the hospital ship, you know, with, with Chewie and being, you know, being tended to. Uh, by well, the, the, the in, tender this, administrations instance, of in this instance, we've got almost all of the characters together now, finally, 
after uh, spending most of the novel apart. That's true. Yeah, except for Leia, all the lunchbox guys are all in the same uh, the same scenario. Yeah, yeah. That's and I'm true. sure they're going to. Contr- I'm sure they, and by they I mean Zahn. I don't know why I'm using uh, they. <laughs> uh, Zahn and Betsy, the, the higher power. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure this is how uh, Zahn is going to contrive it so that uh, Mara Jade ends up a main cast member. She yeah. ends up cut off from Talon Card and his uh, his gang of miscreants, and she has to begrudgingly work together with her hated uh, Luke, and, and uh, she's probably going to hate Han and, and um, definitely C-3PO. Mm-hmm. I th- Maybe I think she'll she's... be okay with R2-D2. I think she'll be. Uh, I think she'll be cool with Chewie, because he's oh, yeah. got like he's got the loyalty thing, and that's that's the only thing she respects. You know. I guess we have to wonder if Zahn is above uh, writing a cat fight. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> like, is Mara gonna really clash with Leia, and they're gonna and claws out, ladies? Oh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I mean, it's all. Boy, the two I mean, female characters in the book meeting each other. Sparks are going to fly. <laughs> hey, there's another female character. Remember Winter? No, uh, I don't. Had, I think it's, she was I from think like it's so, 23 chapters ago. It's so funny that Winter actually got a lot of description and setup. We didn't think so at the time, but realizing now, as far as Zong goes, she got a lot of description and setup. In like those first couple chapters, and then has only since appeared again once to talk on the phone with C three PO pretending to be Princess Leia. It's <laughs> it just seems a very. I wouldn't be surprised if Zahn wrote this chapter by chapter and had no idea what the overall uh, scope of the book was. Well, I mean, I don't know. We are. I mean, we did learn. I mean, course, he has Thrawn down, but I mean, the the other characters seem to be just kind of, uh, yeah, uh, directionless. We do we do have evidence from the annotations that uh, Timothy had early on. He had an early outline that he discussed at the Sizzler, if you recall. Um, ah, uh, yes, the great Sizzler outline discussion. <laughs> yes, the, my favorite part of the book, the Sizzler anecdote. <laughs> but <laughs> so. Um, he also does make mention about original outlines versus what this ended up being. Actually, there's, there's a note for chapter 29 that says, In the original outline, which had Han and Leia coming to Mirker instead of Han and Lando, this confrontation took place with the Chimera still orbiting overhead. In that scenario, Chewie and Lando were scheduled to swoop in after the Imperials' defeat and pull Luke and the others off the planet before Thrawn could intervene. As a matter of pure logic, not to mention reasonable storytelling, it's just as well that I came up with this version instead of having to use that one. I, I'm not sure what pure logic has to do with any of it. <laughs> like, it's just a different take. Like, I'm not sure that's any less logical than what's happening now. Uh, I, I a, think now a serious would be a good one. time to uh, announce that... Uh, one of our two bonus episodes that we're going to do in between books. And uh, the first one is going to be uh, us talking about the notes uh, in the in the uh, book before uh, Daniel yes. got them. Yes, the one. Yeah, because we didn't I didn't want to go back and introduce note content for chapters we had already covered. But also 
those are the first, I think the first like six, seven, eight chapters. I mean, we got pretty well into the book before I, uh, I made my amazing discovery in the, in the dusty archives of the Vatican. Um, and what's great about that is that a lot of those notes are dealing with very foundational stuff. Of course, he's a lot more chatty in the notes for the first few chapters, which makes sense because that's what he's introducing his new stuff to the Star Wars world. So we have a lot of meaty content to dig into, including Ronnie. I think I, I hinted before that we get some choice information on just what's going on with describing the Nogri. I really seriously can't wait. That's going to be an amazing bonus episode. <laughs> I'm looking forward to more anecdotes about the the uh, nightlife of Tampa. Yeah, you know, did he ever stop in at the Golden Corral? You know, how, did they have Orions down there? Is 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 uh, is you know, if you go to the Sizzler, uh, is Zahn one of those guys who orders the steak and then goes to the salad bar just for the salad, or does he order the mega salad bar? Where you get the big oval plate and you just load it up with like you know uh, fried chicken wing drumsticks and uh, and you get you know that's that's what that was my move. And how, the great thing your... is I know absolutely nothing about Tampa, so he could make up any shit possible, and I'll be like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I think by now we know a lot about Tampa. You know, we know that they host the annual Necronomicon science fiction convention. We know that City Hall is on. There Thorne are a lot Avenue. of chain restaurants. There are a lot of chain restaurants. We know that uh, Mike LeBue plays bagpipes. I think we could we could we could drop ourselves in Tampa, and people could mistake us for locals with how much Tampa knowledge we have. I think between, oh, yeah, I think sure. between between these notes and Dave Barry, I uh, I feel confident. Was he he wrote for the Tampa paper, right? Or was he a Miami guy? I think he was Miami. Ah, shit. All right. Well, there goes my Dave. Bar- there goes my Dave Barry joke. Gonna have to cut it. Ugh. No, <laughs> anyway. own your failure. No, that's right. that's right. We value transparency here on the Thronder Dome. But speaking of transparency, Ronald, what could be more clarifying? What could be more of a window into the very soul of a human being than the conduct of mental combat? That's right, everybody. We have long since wrapped up the recap portion. We've done a little bit of bullshitting around. It's time to get down to brass tacks. It's time to get down to the real shit. It's time to enter the Thronder Dome, where Ronnie and I struggle like two mighty intellectual titans on the sands of the arena to determine who has the mightiest mind of all, arguing over the most pressing issues in politics, economics, ethics, aesthetics. So Ronnie, what are we going to go to the mat for today? What in what argument is one of us going to emerge the victor who shapes western thought on the topic for the next generation? Well, we're discussing a battle of the Hanna-Barbera juggernauts, uh, <laughs> Scooby-Doo and Jabberjaw. <laughs> Oh, well, Scooby-Doo a little been in the news lately with the, uh, the for all the, the wrong reasons with the, the gritty, the gritty reboot, the gritty, ironic reboot that, you know, Gen I'll tell you, there's nothing Gen X loves more than an ironic, gritty reboot of a property they remember from their childhoods. So uh, I, I think, you know, Scooby-Doo coming back in the mix with the Velma series, which came up on the last episode, too, actually. We're doing a lot of free press for uh, for HBO Max. With this one, but it does mean that Scooby Doo is in the news a little bit, and 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 uh, and Jabberjaw, Jabberjaw, fascinating. I will ta- I will take the Jabberjaw position. 
Well, I'm um, taking the Jabberjaw position, so uh, you take Scooby-Doo. Are you zagging me? I thought we... I mean, I, I mean, said Jabberjaw in the chat. <laughs> Damn it! I've made to... <laughs> multi- I've I've written down my entire argument here, and and now I've completely blown up the uh, the conceit that we are just deciding what we're going to argue right now. God, I am just yeah, we're so close. We were so close, Ronnie, to completing a perfect season of podcasting, and I have flubbed twice in the last five minutes. Ah, well, title this episode: Daniel's Folly Part Two. <laughs> Daniel's Folly Part 2. Now, look, wait a minute. You tried to title another episode Daniel's Folly Part 2, and instead I got to tell everyone what a gallant I am instead of a goofus because I paid money to get the notes. So I don't think we have to call this Daniel's Folly Part 2. Maybe we will. I don't, if I can't think of anything better, yeah. But in any case, okay. So that means I get the Scooby-Doo position. Who? So it's like, who's better, right? What's the better cartoon, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. I'm going to go first this time. I want to switch it up. I want to switch it up. In the world of literature, in the world of human narrative imagination, there is an enduring aesthetic, an enduring style known as the Gothic. Now, this first emerged in English literature toward the end of the 18th century, and it was called Gothic because they were types of stories that tended to be set in monasteries and churches, creepy old Catholic buildings that set Protestant English people on edge, just, you know, just the terror of, uh, of the great Catholic powers, France and Spain, uh, worry about being undermined from within, still even at that late stage in the 18th century, uh, in the in the religious struggles between Protestantism and Catholicism, so that uh, this kind of Catholic architecture, this medieval architecture, this pre-Enlightenment architecture, was a stand-in. The Gothic style was a stand-in for superstition and uh, fear and uh, the unknowable. But one aspect of the Gothic mode is that, despite the characters of these stories experiencing menaces and sort of sinister occurrences that seem unexplainable and supernatural. By the end of the story, they are shown to have purely rational explanations. It wasn't that they were being haunted by a ghost. No, it was the purely rational explanation being menaced by an evil Italian. Scooby-Doo carries on the great Gothic tradition. Really, every Gothic story is a Scooby-Doo story. Uh, the gang encounter mysterious happenings, they are frightened, they experience the uncanny. But at the end, they unmask the villain and show him to be a property developer or a small businessman or any of the other similar equivalents to a monstrous Italian that we have in our own current day. I would argue Scooby-Doo is the superior cultural product for keeping the Gothic alive, a living tradition, which every child uh, is now familiar with, uh, thanks to the Hanna Barbera company. Yeah, and that's thus concludes my opening remarks. That's my that's my opening remarks, not my whole argument. But you have a rebuttal. Um, I'll I'll, t- I'll put the little hourglass timer. I'll t- I'll tip it over. Here's your rebuttal time. Okay, my rebuttal is for one thing, uh, Jabberjaw is a talking shark. Second of all, he plays in a band <laughs> underwater with a bunch of hippies. And he plays mm-hmm. the drums. Three, he's he's uh, voiced by Frank Welker, who's impersonating Curly. 
and his uh, catchphrase is stolen from Roger Danger Rodney Dangerfield, uh, proving proving that all the best uh, all the best cartoon characters are just shameless plagiarism of real life figures. That's true. I'm going to jump here and say I don't think you can claim Frank Welker because Frank Welker voiced both Freddy and Scooby Doo. Yes, but he's impersonating a. a oh, I so said a superior. Comedian. It's like a superior Whereas, performance. Who is, who is yeah. he impersonating Scooby Doo? Some guy with a speech impediment? I think not. <laughs> but I'm sorry. Continue. I guess what what else was on your laundry Jabber list? Jabberjaw takes place in an optimistic future that we'll never reach. A future of 2075, 76, in which. Everyone lives underwater for some reason, and every and everything is named like uh, everything has terrible pun names like Aqua Alaska instead of Alaska. <laughs> what? That's awful. You remember a lot more about Jabberjaw than I do. <laughs> There's a uh, Aquahama, Hydrostan, Atlantis. Aquahama. Aqua what is that even a? What's Aquahama? I think it's supposed to be Alabama. Why the hand? Just say Aquabama. All right, whatever. Well, I gotta see the Aquabama. Amster Aqua. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> Ronnie, I don't think this is helping your argument. <laughs> this sounds stupid as well. Well, I would further argue that uh, a a team of uh, musicians solving mysteries and uh, stopping crimes is much more interesting than uh, a a a group of. Uh, uh, ruffian youth driving around in a in a van, uh, searching for uh, searching for uh, supernatural happenings. <laughs> I mean, musicians are are inherently cool. Uh, think about uh, Jimmy Page or uh, Michael Jackson. <laughs> some of our some of our most luminary sexual assault serial sexual assaulters have been musicians. It's true. All right, all right, okay, okay. I, I, I got. I'm, I'm gonna. I and, got, and also, gotta... and also, Jabber Jaws is, is a is a is a show about prejudice. Hmm. Because because uh, hmm. Jabber Jaw is not respected in society at large because there are shark ejector robots that uh, that you know keep sharks from being in various buildings and cities. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot that Jabber Jaw has kind of a Magnus robot fighter angle. Like that. That is that is kind of cool, but here we go. I uh, I have an angle to push back on this. So we were talking about the Gothic mode in literature, right? Science fiction, the fiction, the literature, imagining the future. I, you know, not just imagining the future, but the fiction drawing out sort of what's beyond the next hill. You know, what is the science beyond science? What will man be like confronted with his own power and his own tools? Um, in this instance, Jabberjaw is an expression of an optimistic vision of that, wherein uh, humankind has found new life under the sea. Uh, but I would posit that because science fiction is essentially an outgrowth of and could be considered a subgenre of the Gothic, I think Scooby-Doo outranks Jabberjaw in the sense of literary uh, uh, taxonomy. Well, how about this one, pal? Uh, Mm -hmm. All cops are bastards. 
teen detectives are basically <laughs> cops. Therefore, all teen detectives are bastards. All right, all right. Riddle me this, asshole. Sure, sure. Jabberjaw may solve a mystery or two, but he's most importantly a musician. <laughs> all right, no, I'm pushing back here. I'm pushing back here. What is the what? What is what is the what what is like the 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 synecdoche right like the 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 thing that stands in for menace right what is an audio cue that stands in for menace that's right it's the theme from jaws why does it stand in for menace because everyone knows sharks are dangerous and evil and will kill you i am not fooled by jabberjaw i am on the side of the ejector robots sharks should not be celebrated and in fact it's very wicked that they are hmm well i i would uh I would argue that uh, Jabberjaw's uh, long history of crime fighting across sixteen episodes would uh, argue against uh, your your blatant characterization of all sharks as as menaces. There were seriously only sixteen episodes of that show. Yes. God damn the USA Cartoon Express reruns really did a number on my conception of like just what how vast the corpus of Hanna Barbera cartoons was. And I guess realize it's just repackaging also that, all of the... that's further my argument: quality over quantity. <laughs> there are like eight hundred episodes of Scooby Doo. There's only sixteen of Jabberjaw. Yeah, and even Which so, means each Jabberjaw episode is to be cherished, <laughs> like a fine <laughs> like diamond. <a> precious. <laughs> are you going to make this argument about the Roman holidays because they only had thirteen episodes? But trying trying to make Flintstones, but in ancient Rome. Sure. Have you ever seen that one? No. Oh boy, check it out. It's dire. It's awful. Uh, it's one that I remember from watching on you know USA Cartoon Express. Um, I'm really surprised that you didn't go with the argument that dogs kill like orders of magnitude more people than sharks every year. <laughs> That's and if you're going to talk about dangers to human life, dogs are much much higher. Than, uh, than sharks But I'm not going to make your argument for you And in fact, listeners and gentlemen Ladies and gentlemen of the jury Disregard that I said that That is inadmissible I just have two pictures to send you in the uh, in chat That oh. I think you'll appreciate First okay. is You'll see uh, one of them has a guitar That's shaped like a fish Which is pretty cool That is pretty good And uh, and here's, here's a picture of a uh, Jabberjaw teaming up with Aquaman. <laughs> I get, oh, and a bonus Captain Caveman story. That's uh, whew, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, all right. Captain Caveman, where does he live? Alabama? He lives in Aquahama. <laughs> Clearly. He's in a Jabberjaw comic book. Uh, God, I wish... Well, I, I think we've both run out of steam <laughs> on arguing about Hanna-Barbera properties. I could argue Jabberjaw all fucking night, pal. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, uh, I, I'm not conceding defeat. I think this is another one where we leave it to, uh, to the audience, and then, of course, you declare victory. That's typically how these things go. Um, I think My I made a good show for myself. Yeah. Jabberjaw walked so street sharks could run. All right, well, if you're going to say that, then, like, I mean, clearly, like, Scooby-Doo walked so Scrappy-Doo yeah. could run. Uh, so Velma could run. So Velma could <laughs> Scooby Scooby-Doo walked 
so that Linda Cardellini as Velma could run. Huh? Freddie Prince Jr. is Fred. I, it I, could, doesn't, it, I could counter you all day, man. <laughs> I've got like 30 pages of notes on this. Uh, well, in that case, we better wrap it up before you just bury me uh, with all of that, and I can, I can, I can retain what little this, uh, this honor whole I have uh, left. air of the empire stuff. I put like minimum of effort in <laughs> the, the fucking jabberjaw discussion. I, I spent all night. That's where you really put all of your your energy. Well, if nothing else, we did have another spirited, rousing round of debate, and uh, as as iron sharpens iron, as it says. Low in the holy book Proverbs in the Holy Bible. So too have our minds sharpened one another by squishing against each other in a non-sexual manner here in the Thronderdome. And that wraps us up for uh, for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us, and please join us next time for the exciting conclusion of our first season of Thronderdome, where we bring to a close the the first episode episode six the official episode six and, and, and as far as 1991 was concerned of the star wars saga do you mean episode seven because episode six was return of the jedi shut up yes of course i meant episode seven all right all right clearly my brain Daniel, is just... daniel's uh new nickname should be flubber <laughs> All right, maybe maybe the name of this episode will be uh, Daniel's Flubbies. How about that instead of Folly? That works for me. I don't I honestly come to come, come to think of it. I don't want anyone thinking about my Flubbies. I don't like how that sounds or what that entails. Anyway, it's time for me to get off this microphone before I keep embarrassing myself. So, good night, everyone there in Radio Land. I have been your host, Doctor Daniel Dotty. With me as always, uh, the intrepid comrade Ronnie Gardaki. And uh, we'll see you next time. Good night.